Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. We have a guest with us. From the outside, a lot of people who think of law firms think probably most about attorneys who interact with clients and go off and try cases, and they probably don't think too much about what's holding the firm together back at the firm while the attorneys are out in the world doing their thing. But there are such people. So we thought we would interview one of them. We did a worldwide search trying to find a highly qualified person to sit in this chair, and we ended up with Angela Lewis of the Simon Law Firm. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. How's that for an intro? That was phenomenal. That was great. So you are the law firm administrator of the Simon Law Firm since 2015. Correct. We thought it would be good for our audience to understand the many hats that you wear. And I told you before the podcast, I'll try not to use the phrase herding cats, but it, it repeatedly comes to me because I, although I wasn't at the Simon Law Firm while you were here, I've seen how hard it is to work with type A professionals who are running around and, you know, they're under pressure and a lot of things need to get done. Could you talk about your path from how, you know, maybe including your training or your career and then how you ended up here at the Simon Law Firm? Well, I, I got out of school with my bachelor's degree in psychology and didn't know what I wanted to do. So somebody said, hey, why don't you be a police officer? Great. So I was a police officer for a handful of years, but at the same time, I was going back to school to get my master's degree in human resource management because I ultimately knew that I wanted to kind of get behind any business or corporation. So that was my path there. I did some retail management after I got out of uh, being a police officer and then interviewed at my previous law firm. I was not chosen. I was the second second candidate. Um, but reached back out to her, which was Lois Pfeiffer, who is was the, the former administrator there, and said because we had a really good interview. And I reached out 18 months later and said, "Hey, did that ever work out?" And they said, "Oh, that person just left," and they hired me at that point. And she soon retired, and I assumed all the roles. So not just I went in as an HR manager, but then I assumed all the roles in terms of. And when I say that, it's the operations, it's the financial, it's marketing, it's the people management, it's any of the HR duties as well, too. Um, and I was there for close to 12 years. And then I've been here with John Simon at the Simon Law Firm since then doing all the hats at that point. So I'm not familiar with the coursework and mm -hmm. human resources management. How, how well do you think a degree in this area prepares you for the real world? Or is it does it require a lot of real world time before you really fit into this role? So I think I think it's more of the laws and what you can do and not do when you're managing people. And that's really what that that HR management degree does is it tells you um, what you can and can't do, process and procedures and organizational development. There's a lot that goes into just the human resource part of that as well. But I think then leads to when when you learn on the job and you learn how to do the financials and you understand most HR people don't do both, but I understand numbers. I remember numbers. I, I So I can do the both. Once you then get into that piece, you see how the budgets work and how I pay bills and how to make things that are done timely at that point. And then everything starts swirling and you manage all the things is how that ultimately ended up. So there, there's no way to do this well without having a good grasp of numbers. That would be a, a 
bottom line requirement. You got to you got to know the numbers, but there's there's the people piece too, right? And and you which is the largest piece. So tell me tell me about maybe maybe about a typical month in your life. How how would you allocate what you're doing? Because it seems like you're you've got so many things to tend to. So this morning, for instance, right, I thought I was going to do some things today because we're doing annual evaluations. So I'm talking every 30 minutes, I have somebody coming in new in my office. But I had a lot of time this morning because I wanted to finish payroll. I wanted to answer emails. There's things that I'm doing with some of the mass tort team right now that I want to manage, but that didn't happen. I was speaking to an attorney. I had a new person, part-time person start this morning. So we were getting him acclimated. I printed a check for somebody that needed a check. So it was just, there, there's probably 10 other things that I'm not even listing right now, all before I sat down and talked to you this morning. And it's right now, it's not even, well, it's just turned 11 o'clock. So Correct. That, that was your morning and not even your entire morning. Correct. So the, the psychology degree, have you felt that you've drawn upon that degree here in your in your I don't know if the degree has. I think I'm highly empathetic. So I think that I I want to connect. I want to understand people. I want to understand what motivates them. I want to understand how some days it's just getting through the end of the day in terms of what we need to get done or and showing back up tomorrow or what, what people need in general. So I think it's more of my DNA versus maybe that psychology degree. Maybe we could describe for the people who don't know the size of the Simon Law Firm that would help situate what, what you do and with how many people. We currently have uh, 13 attorneys, 15-something law clerks, 15-something paralegals, and other support staff. There's probably 66 in total, 66, 67 in total at the firm right now. And then you also mentioned in, in the process of describing things that you do the hiring for the firm mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Who are your core people that help you do what you do? So I have Laura, who has been with John, I don't, I think 19, 20 years at this point, but she's my right arm in terms of the daily day bookkeeping and accounting part of that. And then I have Zach, who helps me in marketing and in the intake department. He oversees the intake department with me as well, too, that primarily those are the two that I interact most with every day. Uh, so I, I've never been in, in the role that you, you mm-hmm. play, and I don't know that I'm wired to do a third of what you do. I like to be left alone to work on cases. And it mm-hmm. seems like you would be having to always be on call for lots of stuff. Is there is there ever like an, an hour or two a day where there's not like things that intrude on the thing that you're doing? During the middle of the day, no. That's why I do a lot of things either at night or on the weekends. Just if I have to focus on a project, because then I know I'm not going to be interrupted. But during the day, I very rarely don't have someone either calling, texting, emailing, stopping by. So let's just break it down into the pieces. Why does a law firm need an administrator? Not all law firms need administrators. A lot of times, especially the smaller ones, they have that key person in place, whether it be a paralegal or a legal secretary that has been with them for a long time, that could order the supplies and pay the bills and keep the lights on in terms of just some of the the emailing the insurance company or things like that. The, the, the things that as a smaller firm, you don't need a lot of extra hands doing the bigger picture thing. A lot of times smaller firms, the partner or the, the owner will do the financial stuff themselves. So they will do the record keeping, right? So maybe you have a system that they do the record keeping. They don't necessarily need an administrator, but you need to have a key person that you could delegate some of those things to. I think once you get to a larger size then having someone whose sole role is that is key in making sure that everything is managed correctly. 
in my experience, I've been with some small firms and some larger firms, and it seems like the small firms have more of a family feel mm-hmm. and more of an informality to them. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in the growth, there's something that requires more formality, more structure, more organization. In your mind, do you have a, a break point of some sort where, where that becomes a thing? I think the break point is the owner going, I'm doing too much administrative stuff and not practicing law, which is what they ultimately love. And I think that's where that break point is, is when they go, I want to do law stuff. And that's when the, the other hat comes into play. And and I, I know John and you both quite well. And I know that John has not relinquished entirely. He, he does a lot of marketing and he, he's hands-on guy. John is active. So he hasn't entirely given it up. But mm-hmm. so I assume you have regular meetings of some sort to make sure that you're you're coordinating. How, how, how often do you need to coordinate with the, the head of the firm to make sure things are going well? Wow. You know what? We've already had two or three phone calls this morning. Right. Me calling in from out of the office you know, about this or that or whatever. I'm, I mean, I've answered the the call at 630 in the morning sometimes. Sometimes John thinks, John is up early, like very early. So he's thinking sometimes, and I'm up early as well too. Sometimes sometimes it's easier just to have those conversations that early in the morning. So we have conversations that early in the morning. Formally, we meet every two weeks, right? We have a, a committee that we meet formally every two weeks and we talk about marketing and we talk about other things that we have to, to talk about. Um, we meet with the attorney group. Every two months, we have a formal meeting at that point. But just like John says, it's sometimes it's all day long. Sometimes I don't hear from him for a couple of days, but we are always in contact or talking or moving things along. So, Angela, let me ask you this, and I bet I know what the answer is. What is what is the most, I don't want to say the worst, but the most challenging part? You do financial stuff, marketing stuff, personnel, HR. What What is the most challenging for you? What do you, what do you, you know, what, what aspect is this you're spending most of your time on or just is the most challenging? The people, the people managing the people, because you have so many personalities in the same spot, even though we're all working for the clients, sometimes the interpersonal stuff creeps in to the day-to-day stuff. I say, So I think right now I feel personnel stuff. Next month, it could be the website stuff because I'm very into that. So things kind of go in waves. We started this firm 25 years ago or so, and there were three lawyers and three secretaries, mm-hmm. and we got big fast. And then this was, was before we had a full-time administrator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had all kinds, you know, it was, it was personnel issues and this issue. There's was always something. And, you know, I, I remember my sister started a firm three years or four years before I did. And I would go to lunch with her on a fairly regular basis and, you know, get advice from her about stuff. And I remember her telling me, you know, that don't, don't try to make people happy. Because they're never good. There, there are certain people who are happy, and certain people who aren't happy, and whatever you do, that's not going to change. I mean, certain people are not going to be happy, and certain people are going to be happy. But she said the main thing is just to treat, try to treat them fairly. Okay, and so my my philosophy is, you know, I'm always, you know, looking out to make sure that if somebody's getting, you know, a, a case or, you know, whatever. I want to make sure, not, not just income-wise, but, you know, learning-wise. And, and you know, I, I pretty much assign cases here when they come in, unless people bring in their own. And I'm the kind of person who likes to make people happy. I like people to be, I, I want them to enjoy coming to work and, and, and all of that. But so what, what what is your approach or philosophy in terms of, you know, handling personnel issues and people? 
I think you hit it on the head with the fair, fair and consistent, right? You have to be consistent in terms of what you do. And so it looks consistent from the outside world too, in terms of, because perception is everything for employees, right? They see what you do. So being fair and consistent, but it's also, I, I, I also fall in, I want people to be happy. So I fall into that, that trap some days where I'm trying to solve all the problems and sometimes there's not problems to be solved, right? And not everybody will be happy with the situation or whatever the, the decision is. So it's it's coming to some sort of agreement or coming to the table that everybody feels like it's fair and consistent in terms of what we're doing. I, I can't help but think that there's transferable skills from being a parent and you're, you're a parent of four children. Yeah. And uh, John and I are both raised children too. The parents that get into the obsession with trying to make sure the kids are happy, it, it just doesn't work. It makes it worse in my mm-hmm. experience. Do you feel like you learned a lot of valuable skills from raising your kids to you know, helping to keep. I a, got my kids working with me. <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't yeah. like raised them and set them on their way. Yeah, they're still here. You know, they're still here. So I'll st- I'll let you know how that works out. I don't know that there's a rule book on being parent. I feel like I'm winging it some days. Still, let's let's talk about the day to day operations. You've already mentioned some things about what you've done today, but is you, you could you sketch out just some generalities more to let people who don't do this kind of work understand? the scope, the vast scope of the the many types of work that you do? I mean, for instance, we haven't even mentioned this. We're, we're getting ready to do a build-out and a move. So we have that going on in the background where I'm still talking with the building and I'm start talking with the architect and I'm uh, getting bids. So we have that, that part going on in the background. I'm meeting with um, IT providers about phone systems at the new place. I'm working with our IT people to coordinate what that's going to look like on the move. So there's a lot going on with that. I'm building out a website. So we're, we're, we're getting all the pieces to them. We had someone, a personnel leave recently in one of our departments that I am now sourcing to get a replacement for. But in the interim, I've been actively involved in managing the people that were left behind in the workload and working with the attorney on that. Um, that's consuming a lot of, of, of time right now. I'm doing annual evaluations, so I'm meeting with everybody, all of the staff, and doing annual evaluations. So that that's consuming a lot of my time. So that that that's what's going on that I'm thinking off the top of my head today. It seems like even the digital aspect of what you do is a is a very challenging job. Do you, do you offload any of that to anyone else? For for instance, I I'm a solo, and I notice that. Every week is an hour or two where I'm making sure I got backup running. I got new tools that might be helpful to me doing my job better. Um, we have IT. We have. I have a person that is here as a help desk person that is on site that can help. Like we had issues at the front desk this morning in terms of their access. I have a help desk person that's up there now helping getting that resolved. But I also have a behind the scenes, big picture planning person that's going to help me build out the new servers and all the infrastructure when we when we have to move that is helping me on the day to day. So he does that. He does the backups and plans and tells me what we need to look at. And we meet with a, a committee internally, both with staff and attorneys once a quarter and talk about what those things are, what the big problems are, what the global issues are, and what, how to resolve them going for, forward. I'm going to share an experience that I think might lead to a good comment or two. Um, I've been at firms before where it seemed like those in charge were more worried about penny pinching and making sure that, you know, oh, you can't go to this seminar, even though you think it's a, a good seminar. How about you pay your own way on that one, that kind of thing. And when I came here within a couple of weeks, I wanted to, I thought maybe I should go to a particular seminar. And I went to John and I, 
he, he said, whatever you need, you, you should go to, and the firm will fund that. You know, it's your judgment. And it seemed like a really important thing. I, I, it, I was stunned by it because I was used to the other approach. It seemed like uh, delegating that responsibility to the employees to, to guide themselves, to motivate themselves, to, to not be kind of on top telling them what to do, but to let them know that they are self-owners. Mm-hmm. They, they, are, they are in charge of themselves to do the, the best job they can do. Is, is this leading to any thoughts by you about how to, how to motivate employees to feel like they're, they're taking it on themselves rather than being employees that are directed or guided from the top? I mean, that still absolutely happens today. I mean, in terms of how the attorneys choose to go and get extra credit or CLEs, but it also trickles down to the staff, right? I have some that are just, they want to learn and they bring stuff back to the table that we talk about in terms of new technology, new software, new ways of doing things that don't cost a lot of money um, to go to a CLE or a seminar over lunch, or sometimes they've done um, courses at the community college as well, too. I think that learning helps us as a firm see new things, learn new things, uh, and, and be efficient, right? The bottom line is being efficient so we can take care of our clients. So let me ask this, Angela, this, this well, I think our audience is mostly attorneys, Right, Eric? But we really don't know, do we? Until today, I think we're going to get a lot of law firm administrators maybe so going to maybe. check in. But so here, here's here's a couple issues that I thought of are new lawyers. Lawyers have been out four or five years. Lawyers at big firms, small firms. A lot of times when I, started, when I started at my first firm, it was a firm with 100 or more attorneys and there were multiple administrative you know, employees full time. I didn't know who they were, what they did, how they would interact with what I'm doing. And so my question is, what, what would you tell attorneys, and it may, may matter depending on the size of the firm, if it's 10 lawyers or 20 lawyers or 100, you know, what, how can an administrator, somebody in your position, you know, help them with what they're doing? And like the flip side, you know, how can the attorneys, you know, better communicate with you to help you do your what you need to do? It's whatever the attorney needs is w- the bottom line. So when an attorney shows up here, the new attorney has to be set up with on our website, in the computer. Do, do they have business cards? Are they on super lawyers? Are, are there, There's things that I go through with them to make sure that they're set up. Do they have the right support internally? It's a simple question of where's my Westlaw login? How do you do the day-to-day stuff? So working to make sure that they're comfortable, but then when they're here, I have attorneys that say, hey, can you do this for me? My client father passed away. I'm really close to this client. Can you send flowers? I've had others who've done extra committee things that I've helped them with. So it's even supporting them on their initiatives as well, too. But it's the day-to-day. If they have issues with a support staff, they'll say, can you talk to them? I've already talked to them. I need you to kind of hit it from another angle to see if you can't get more help or if you can help resolve some of the issues. So it's having... I think it's having good relationships with the attorneys themselves allows me to do my job easier because then the open communication is there in terms of if there are issues, if there's good things happening, I know immediately and we can resolve them so it doesn't fester. I think that's the main point there is the good communication and a good relationship. I see there to be a challenge. The firm is a number of individuals, but individuals work best when they're knitted together and working together and there seems to be an overall personality or ethos to the to the mm-hmm. firm. And it seems like that would require ongoing communication 
among many people. And I'm sure that you have various ways to encourage that conversation. I know you you, you sometimes have seminars where you, where everyone comes together and you talk about you have you have weekly meetings. But what what else? How do you encourage the people to take time out of their schedule? I say this as someone who can go down the rabbit hole and not come out for two weeks if I'm working on a brief. It's it's hard to get me out of that mode. But how do you get the people to come out and make sure they can take advantage of each other's talents and encouragement to become a firm that has kind of its own personality? I think it falls back to getting to know people as a human and as a person, right? And I know sometimes you don't have a lot of time to stand around and talk about that during the day. But when you do have some of those downtime or you do have it, it, it's talking about what you did over Thanksgiving. It's talking about something funny your kid did or something funny your dog or your cat did. It's it's having those little bits that kind of that you can learn your personality to go, I do... I do see them as a person that I can get along with. Yeah, we do work well together too. It's 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 creating that. It doesn't always happen. I, we don't have utopia here, and I don't think I've ever had a utopia anywhere. But it's it's allowing people to have those side conversations to learn each other's personalities and not get in trouble when I walk down the hall or when John walks down the hall and he sees someone talking, right? Sometimes that interaction is good just to have a cohesive team. I'm, I'm walking down your list. You have insurances as yet mm-hmm. another area. Could you talk about the, the challenges that you have trying to make sure that those are in place? So I have I have brokers that help me on all of that, but it is filling out the, the annual applications for the medical, for malpractice insurance, for cyber insurance, for all of the other general liability insurances that the firm needs as a whole. Um, but then we're talking about benefits for the employees. It's, it's creating that benefit package with the broker and rolling that out with the broker and make sure that... Um, those questions are answered for the employees as well, too. So insurances are firm, but also individual as well. Give me a gut feeling. How many vendors you deal with to get the uh, job done here? I have a lot of core vendors just because I've been doing this for so long in terms of the 20 years. and the, Because it's also developing relationships, right? I have a, a vendor relationship with a copy guy, right? I've, I've used him for 20 years for my copy guy. We have a relationship with our scan service. It's a relationship that I have with my brokers. Like it's, it's that ongoing relationship that I know that if I need anything, they're there. I'd probably say 15 consistently consistent. So how, how are you and the firm currently about paper versus paperless and the challenges of storing? Are we talking John Simon or are we talking about the rest of the firm? How about, oh, okay. <laughs> we run the spectrum. John, do you know? I'm getting a little better. I've got a, I've got a trial iPad. He does. But I still keep, you know, my, my paper copies of the, of the important stuff. And, you know, I just, for whatever, I like the, I like the feel of it, writing on it, rolling it up and laying it on the table and, you know, I know you're completely paperless, right? Didn't you like scan all your books and then burn or something? I, 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 yeah. Yeah, the less paper, the better for me. But there are times, like right now, I'm writing on a piece of paper, I've got a pad. Sure. If I find it valuable, it'll either be scanned and, and the paper recycled or, you know, just thrown away. But I, I, I find that paper is highly restricting as it accumulates after the moment. So sure. I don't I don't want to keep it around after it's it can be scanned. So what, what about, you know, you, you've got... 50 people here. You've got cases that could generate thousands. I, I assume still there's people that will produce discovery in boxes. Right. What, what do you do with the paper? Like John said, we, we do run the gamut. Right now, I'm down my back hallway. We were closing files from one of our mass tort litigation. So I have a ton of boxes right now that we're going to scan off site because we're going to keep that data. Um, but it wasn't scanned initially because we weren't paperless back then. So what was it? Is it 10 years in Missouri? You have to keep the, we do. the file? 
you know, that means when we when you open the firm, you start collecting and you can't get rid for the first 10 years. I can't imagine. Is it, it's got to be thousands of boxes oh, yeah. of storage. We've called that down quite a bit, but it, it is about still scanning everything. We want everything scanned in on our network, right? Regardless if you like paper or not, we still want it scanned in on our network so we can have access to that when we're not sitting in our firm and, and be able to produce that at a, at a drop of a hat as well. Scanning it and I assume making it OCR and finding OCR and, and putting it into the appropriate place in the system in terms of the client. How file. can you dig back into your deep archives, do you think? Is that a rare thing? I have, I've had to go and look for things occasionally, not very often, but occasionally. In, in the course of nine years. Thank you for joining us. We're going to pause this conversation at this point. We're going to have you back for another episode. And thank you for your willingness to join us a second time. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Angela. All right. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Feith. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.